Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And today, it's just the two of us. It's our last episode of the season. Yeah, our guest is nobody. Our guest is all of you out there. Yes, thank you for joining us, uh, everyone. But we do have kind of a guest because we have one extra minute, one extra minute of podcast because we're part of this, a minute. The last, right? The credits here are two minutes and fifty-four seconds. So we decided uh, that we should not do an extra episode of the last fifty-four seconds of credits because right. we already don't have a lot to say about these credits, and not specifically about these credits. Correct? No. Um, and actually, what I meant to say was, in these minutes, all these people have families. I had that in my notes, and I forgot to say it. So, Oh, nice. Okay. Have we said that before in the past three Probably. seasons previous? I have to imagine we did. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we, we, well, we'll get into it a little bit. We do start with the very end of the It Feels Like Christmas reprise. I don't know that I have anything more to say about this. I, I enjoy it, like I said last week. Yeah, just fun to hear the ghost of Christmas present having a good time. Yeah, I love that guy. And I miss him. I still miss him. It's been. Yeah. I think at one point he says bye bye or, or something like that. He, he does. He does say bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, he's like he's like the animal tag at the end of this movie. Oh, yeah. Or Gonzo tag. Um, And then the next song that starts up is Martina McBride's cover version of When Love Is Gone. I say cover. It's not really a cover because it was recorded for the same production as the right. version. But, it's the pop um, version. Like the, right, it was the adult to, contemporary version. Right, right. Similar to around this time, Disney was doing this with all their animated movies, right? You had the uh, Celine Dion version of the Beauty and the Beast title song. That you was had, the first big one, right? Uh, th- I think that was the first one that exists. They didn't have a pop singer doing Part of Your World for Little Mermaid, I guess. Uh, no, they didn't. And I <laughs> think that they decided after that that they should. Yeah. Like, I think the success of those songs... Um, but we, sh- we we should mention the other big ones were uh, Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell doing uh, a, a Whole New World on yes, Aladdin. That was a huge hit on and the radio. El- huge hit. And then Elton John doing his own versions of the songs that he co-wrote for The Lion King. Most mm-hmm. most notably, I think, uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? But also Circle of Life was a big hit. Uh, yeah. And then um, Vanessa Williams in pocahontas doing colors of the wind i think that was the last one that really felt right. like a, a hit hmm. to me yeah now i'm thinking like did they, they can... do one for hunchback well, they... or hercules hercules they did it's michael bolton singing go the distance oh, i remember that video being, <laughs> okay. on, being on disney channel i remember the video on disney channel but i don't remember hearing it elsewhere Look, kids michael bolton then, right well and then and then mulan has a weird one oh, which mulan, is a yeah. song that's not in and mulan has a song that's not in the body of the movie called True to Your Heart, which is performed by 98 Degrees, the boy band 98 Degrees, hmm. with special guest. Do you want to guess who the special guest was on True to Your Heart, Ryan? What year was that? Na- 1998. Well, I mean, was it Donny Osmond? Because he's in the movie singing? It was It was not Donny Osmond. Um, it okay. is someone around the same age as Donny Osmond. I think a little older. But like a, a long-established star in 1998. Uh, okay so is it a man it's a man and it's like truly a legend like i kind of can't believe he did this this song with 98 degrees tony bennett not a bad guess stevie wonder oh okay huh yeah yeah i have no memory of that for like he just comes in like for the bridge you know and it's like hey it's stevie there he is wow uh but yeah it's what he's in the video like he's in the video with them and everything Hmm. like yeah, wow, that's that's impressive. They should have gotten him to write all the songs for a Disney movie at some point. They should have, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, then obviously, like the next one then is Tarzan, where Phil Collins just he sings does the songs in yeah. the actual movie. But they have the they do have the in sync version of Trash in the Camp, so it was like a boy band. <laughs> yeah, here, uh, huh? Uh, but but here in this movie, we don't get any of those. Uh, but it is part of that larger trend, and it's Martina McBride, country singer, uh, Martina McBride. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this before the recording and and concluded that we haven't really talked about this on our podcast, but it seems like 
there wasn't much of a push to release this as a single or try to make this a it hit was, song on the radio. It was indeed not released as a single. Yeah, that's so weird to me. It's it's very strange because what's the point of doing it? Like, exactly. Yeah. Did they? I I do wonder if maybe they decided not to release it as a single when they cut the other version from the movie. That's maybe? I think that's the most logical theory. Yeah, because people weren't gonna people would would not be hearing it in the movie when they went to see it in the theater. They thought like, who's going to care about this song? Right. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, and it's fine. I mean, I don't, I'm not a country fan, especially not. A, I'm, I'm certainly not like a nineties pop country fan, which is, which is what this is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very. I mean, it is a ballad. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, McBride's a talented singer, but sure. it's just not, I don't really care, care about it one way or the other, you know? Yes. We should we should give a shout out to Ken Kessler on the Sounds of Christmas podcast, which you and I went on, I don't know, a few months ago. Yeah. Talked to talk about this movie and specifically the Christmas music in the movie. And that uh the host of that show, Ken, was clearly a very big Martina McBride fan. And he knew a lot more about uh, yeah, about her. Knew a lot about her it and ta- yeah. talked about how he wished that this song had been a single and the, you know, they should put it out now and all this stuff. Yeah. Um so that was fun. That was a really uh, interesting conversation for me because it's something I would never have thought about. Yeah, in, I know we linked in, in to that. To this movie. Yeah, we linked to that uh, podcast episode of The Sounds of Christmas on social media. I don't know if we ever uh, talked about it here on our podcast, but we can link to it in the show notes of this one. Yeah, for sure. And so I have one more thing to say about this version of the song. Uh-huh. While Googling uh, Martina McBride, When Love Is Gone, I came across a fan video on YouTube of this version of the song featuring clips of, that's right, TV's most problematic romantic couple, Buffy and Spike. Oh. Yes. Huh. When Love Is Gone, uh, Buffy this is and on, Spike. Uh. This is on a YouTube YouTube channel called Vampire Atrix. Huh. I mean, I'm not, I guess I'm not shocked, but... Yeah, it does seem like there there might be other songs that you would choose for your Buffy Spike relationship montage montage before this one. Right, because I don't like I would I would go for Angel, right? Because there was a time when I was sure that you and I were truly one. Like, yes. That's, that's Buffy uh, and Angel stuff. Right. Buffy and you know? Angel much more of a like they had something and then they realized they couldn't really maintain it. Whereas Buffy and Spike yeah. always fraught. Yes, always from day one. Yeah, until the end. Yeah. So, anyways, I just wanted to let you know because you're because you're a fellow Buffy fan. Yes, that's fascinating that that, that, that exists. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of the only thoughts I had about the song. Anything else uh, about the song? No. So then that brings us to the actual credits, and there are a lot of them. There are. And most of these people, I don't know who they are. You know, I didn't look. There's too many. There's well, but they like you said, they all like like I said. I guess they all have families, but there are too many to look them all up. Too many. Like it wouldn't be interesting to talk about who all of these people are. No. We'd be here for three hours. I think something we're also running into here is that over the years, uh, movie end credits have started listing more and more people who worked on the movie. Whereas yes. when the Muppet movie came out, you they just wouldn't credit everybody. But now I guess there are union rules and contract rules and things where everybody who worked on the movie has to get credited, which is good, but it just, it results in a lot more credits. It is right. Exactly. So I just have a few, I, I thought it was interesting that the two Foley artists credited, which listeners might not know Foley artists are people who do the sound effects, uh, yep. who do like, you know, off off screen sound effects. Yeah, like when when two Foley artists a Muppet falls down and hits the ground, the Foley artist made the sound effect of them hitting the ground. Right, exactly. Uh, and if you if you watch the great Albert Brooks movie Modern Romance, he's a he plays a Foley artist in that movie, <laughs> yeah. and it has a terrific scene where he's trying to find the right sound for a man running down the hall and tries to use the sound of the Hulk running down the hall, <laughs> and. It's great. It's all good. Um, What a wonderful movie. Uh, But the two Foley artists in this movie both have nicknames listed. Yeah. When I read credits, I always, I always think, you know, if I were ever on a crew, I would put a nickname for myself, even if nobody ever calls me by that nickname, because it makes your name stand out when you have a nickname in quotation marks. Right. People notice it. Yeah. Uh, And these two are Dan 
Dickinson O'Connell, <laughs> which just seems like a different last name. Yeah. You know, like uh, Dan Dickinson O'Connell and Gary Recker Hecker. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I, I tip my hat to Gary Recker Hecker. That's <laughs> so a great good. One. Yeah. Um, yeah. A- another one that I noticed was the Ghost of Christmas Past designer, Kevin O'Boyle, is credited specifically as Ghost of Christmas Past designer. Huh. Okay. The the other Muppet designers are not credited by character. So that's interesting. Maybe I, uh, maybe he like, drew the first sketch, or maybe like was the one who had to figure out how to turn the sketches into a physical puppet. I don't know. Right, right. It looks like he had only Henson thing he worked on before this was the storyteller Greek myths. Okay. And then he worked on a few other things in the 90s, Farscape, the Flintstones. Okay, so uh, Creature Shop Flintstones, things. Flintstones movie, of course. Yeah, Creature Shop stuff. So I wonder if that's, if it was like that character counted as a creature, technically, or something. So yeah, I think we talked about it. She sort of I don't know. Like, is on the, on the line between Muppet and Creature. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Anyways, that, that caught my eye. Yeah. And then I know you had one you wanted to talk about. Um, sure, at least one. Yeah, well, so I I wanted to mention last week I told uh, our our guest Stacy Rosen that I would keep an eye out for the craft services credit because she always likes to look to see like if they have names that are wordplay or, or just just to see who did the craft services because why not keep an eye out for that? And I watched these credits all the way through twice. I never spotted a credit for craft services or catering or anything like that. So I don't know who did the craft services. Somebody provided the food for this movie, but they don't seem to be credited unless I somehow missed it. So sorry about that. Um, But speaking of caterers in the section where it's crediting all the Muppet workshop people, there's a credit for Rizzo's personal caterer. And that person's name is Mark McAniff, MC. A-N-I-F-F. Um, I asked around. I posted about this on social media. I asked some of our Muppet fan friends. Nobody knows who Mark McGaniff is. He doesn't. There's really nothing about this person on the internet other than this movie. Yeah, uh, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a page on Muppet Wiki even. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, so if he did work for the Muppet Workshop, this might have been the only thing he worked on. Or I don't know. I, I also uh, sent an email to... Karen Falk at the Jimenson company thinking maybe she would have something uh, in her records as of recording time. I have not heard back, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we can solve the mystery of first of all, what does Rizzo's personal caterer do? I mean, obviously it's a jokey credit, but like, did he make the, the fake food that Rizzo was chewing on? Did he? Right. He did. He did something. Yeah. On like, the movie. Did he, did he personally attach the the food to Rizzo's hand when Rizzo was eating? I don't know. So, yeah, I hope we find out. Hello, listeners. Guess who? That's right. It's Ryan in the future with an important update. Uh, very shortly after we recorded this episode, I did receive a response from Jim Henson Company archivist Karen Falk. She had contacted a few people who worked on The Muppet Christmas Carol, and this is the information she received. Mark McAniff made some specialty foam latex food for Christmas Carol. The apple that Rizzo eats in the first scene, the goose on the spit, a Christmas pudding, and a giant turkey cooked and uncooked versions. Rizzo's personal caterer was just a clever way to put him in the credits. So, now we know. That's what he did. Uh, He did a great job. It's funny, we just uh, noted in the last episode or two that there was a cooked and an uncooked version of the Christmas turkey. And now we know who made those. It was Mark McAniff, the same guy who made Rizzo's food. So a big thanks to Karen Falk. Uh, Thanks to Mark McAniff as well for making those cool props. And thanks to Rizzo for being funny when he eats food. And now back to the podcast. So a couple of notes about the music credits at the end. Yeah. Uh, I find it, Interesting that both the music for this movie was recorded on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it says music recorded at BMG Studios, New York City, and studio, Sony Studios, Culver City, California. That's what it says. Yeah. So that's East and West Coast. 
vocals recorded at CTS Recording Studios, England. Yeah, very interesting. Right. And we do, as we discussed at the time, there we do have uh, video footage from the vocals being recorded. I don't know that we have. Oh, right. And I don't know that we want or need videos from from the orchestra, but I guess it'd be kind of fun. It would be interesting. Yeah, it wouldn't be quite (laughs) as compelling as seeing Michael Caine recording his songs. Right. Seeing Michael Caine and (laughs) Meredith Braun recording together. With Paul Williams hanging out. Kind of amazing. Yeah. So the, the final thing then is there are two songs listed on the soundtrack. Yeah. In, at the end of this movie. And um, they are not any of the songs in this movie. <laughs> the two songs listed are Love is Like a Heat Wave by Edward Holland, Lamont Dozier, and Brian Holland, and Island in the Sun by Harry Belafonte and Irving Bungle. <laughs> Which, one, amazing that Harry Belafonte's co-writer on that song is named Irving Bungle. Yeah. If this was Muppeturgy podcast, they would probably have a lot to say about Irving Bungle. Yes, I'm sure. But I, uh, I, a, a cursory Google uh, search couldn't find much. Yeah, it's too so. bad. I mean, that's a good song. So when we talk about somebody bungling something, maybe mm-hmm. that should be a good thing. Yeah. You really bungled um, that one. Great it, job. Just like Irving Bungle writing that song. Right. Um, but of course, we had music and lyrics by Paul Williams at the start. So the songs are not listed by title here. Yeah, that's another thing. I feel like they would do that now, even though it says at the beginning in the opening credits, I think they would still say this song was written by Paul Williams. This song was written by Paul Williams for every song. You know, interesting. You know, you might be right. Um, I checked Aladdin to see if Aladdin had, because this came out the same year. You know, it's a new Oh, yeah, Disney yeah. Movie, and it doesn't. The songs are not listed um, by at the end credits at all. They're listening yeah. to the opening credits. And okay. that's a movie where there were, where there were two different lyricists because Howard Ashman died part with through production. So right. Tim Rice wrote some of the song. Right. Um, and th- those do say in the opening credits, they say, you know, uh, Arabian nights friend like me. Oh, okay. Whatever the other one is Prince all the lyrics by Howard Ashman, music by Alan Menken song by song world. Prince all the reprise uh, one jump ahead, Tim Rice. And how Alan Menken, whatever. Okay. In the opening credits, but in the closing credits, it does not list them at all. Huh. There either. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But but now that you've said that, it makes me want to go look at like Encanto or Frozen and see if it's, it's yeah exactly yeah. see if it does. Hmm. Uh. All right. So I already got. Uh, do you want me to do it? Should I do it right now? Sure. All right. Let's see. Music. Here we go. All right. So Oceanic Story Trust is how the uh, Polynesian. Uh, advisors are credited. That's kind of fun. Hmm, okay. Uh, yeah, so this just says original songs produced by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Mark Mancina, Opatia Foya, and then it lists all the musicians. It does list musicians by name, a whole lot of them. Okay. Uh, and then it does it does list every song by by performer and who wrote the music and lyrics. That's a movie where they have several. There you go. Uh, but yeah, so they do list performers for everyone. How far I'll go. Performed by uh, Uli Cravalho, music and lyrics by Lin Manuel Miranda. It says it right there in the closing. Credits. Okay, yeah, I bet that's so. just another update to the rules of how these things have to be credited. Yeah, I bet you're right. Um, but you're right. even with that in mind, it is odd to me that the that this movie doesn't include the Martina McBride version in the end credits because I don't. I think maybe there's no credit for Martina McBride in the end credits unless we missed something. Hmm. It, it must be. She might. I bet she's towards the front. Maybe. I don't know. Oh down, yeah, down maybe early on we just kind of pass by it. Yeah. Hey, did you know Amy Hill was a, a additional voice in Moana? That's kind of fun. Character actress Amy Hill, the grandma from All American Girl. Oh, I did not know that, but that's cool. I didn't either. Good for her. Good yeah. for her. Yeah. All right. I'm just watching the closing credits to Moana. Um, You're watching Moana two minutes at a time and talking about a lot. We should watch Moana two minutes at a time. Moana rules. It does. Uh, I think it's Musker and Clemens' best movie ever. And I don't say that lately. Like, they've they've directed Aladdin and The Little Mermaid. Yeah. I'd have to think about that, but it would be way up there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, But we didn't come here to talk about Moana today. (laughs) Maybe no, it's just a pleasant uh, byproduct. Um, no, and then I think I talked about this when we were talking about that scene 
in Scrooge's office when the rats sing heat wave, this is my island in the sun. But uh, just to, to reiterate and to tell this again, um, at some point when this uh, movie had come out on video, I, I saw this either in one of those Leonard Malton guides or possibly the video hound, but it was a capsule review, uh, mostly negative review of this movie. And it said, um, the original songs, including Heatwave and Island in the Sun, are mundane at best or something like that. Like who, clearly whoever <laughs> wrote that review had just looked at the end credits and was like, okay, those are the songs from the movie. Right. Not yeah. Realizing that they're not actually the musical numbers. It's pretty good. And that actually leads us into our next topic because you wanted to talk about online reviews of this movie. Oh, I, that that's one of them. Um, the, the only other thing I have from the actual credits. Uh, special thanks. It's always interesting to note who gets special thanked. So here we have Ellis Fleet. Uh, she was Brian Henson's wife at this time. Uh, she was mm-hmm. a costume designer for Labyrinth, which I don't know if that's where they met or just a project they worked on. But uh, Alex Rockwell, she was a frequent producer for Henson projects. Her credits include the Jim Henson Hour. Muppet Vision 3D, Billy Bunny's Animal Songs, Dinosaurs, Bear in the Big Blue House, Muppet's Was Bass, The Adventures of Elmo in Grouchland, and then more recently, Francis, Pajanimals, and Muppet Moments. So she's her, oh, her, there you go. yeah, her producing work with the Muppets spans and Henson spans uh, a lot of time. Oh, also, I learned this from, I think, on her Muppet Wiki page. She's the daughter in law of Henry Kissinger. <laughs> no, so how about that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not what I expected to see on the page of a Muppet producer. Uh, and then David Laser is the third name. He, of course, is a longtime uh, producer and executive producer of Muppet Productions. He executive produced The Muppet Show, and he is said to be the, the guy who would kind of uh, meet up with the guest stars when they arrived in London and basically do the, the whole orientation of like, okay, this is how it's going to be. This is, this is how we make The Muppet Show and all that stuff. So. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. But yes, um, online reviews. So I like to look... So our, when our friend Danny Horn was here, he already covered the contemporary movie critic reviews from when this came out. Most of them, not right. overwhelmingly positive. Uh, today, I think, right. right, as we discussed, things have really turned around on the way people think of this movie, including movie critics, a lot of them would probably say that this is a classic now, but not everyone agrees that it's a classic now. So I looked for some negative reviews on places online where people can give reviews. Um, on Letterboxd, there was a half star rating from somebody named Faye. Faye says, <laughs> actually, I'm not sure why this one is a half star rating. Faye says, I want Scrooge to pick me up by the neck and throw me across the room like he did to Mr. <laughs> Applegate. <laughs> I don't know. That maybe maybe because she doesn't like the movie, she wants Scrooge to to throw her away from the movie. But yeah, maybe I don't know. That's a good one. Uh, Also on Letterboxd, somebody named American Psycho Lover gave a half star rating and said, "I wish there was a lower rating than half a star because this is the worst movie in existence. The plot doesn't thicken. If anything, it thins. It's a terrible, terrible mistake." A box office flop Kermit himself would have been ashamed of. Now, I'm not being a Scrooge, but this movie makes me want to be one. Normally, I don't have a problem with the Muppets, but this movie makes me hate them. So, <laughs> pretty pretty extreme reaction there. Uh, yeah, all then right. there was a one and a half star review on Letterboxd from somebody named Vienna Mars. That review just said, I want to kick them. <laughs> people have very violent uh, reactions to these things um, half star review from somebody named Jamie on Letterboxd I hope the Muppets all get slaughtered wow oh no how can you watch this movie and come away with that reaction right uh, then I checked Amazon there are a lot of one star reviews on Amazon but nearly all of them are people complaining because they paid for a version of the movie that doesn't include When Love Is Gone uh, it sh- makes sense yeah uh, but I did find this one one-star review from a reviewer, unnamed reviewer in New Jersey, who said, So unfaithful to the Dickens novel. The silliest excuses for humor ruin a solemn tale. Should be shunned by children and adults alike. Shunned? So, yeah. They 
They watched a Muppet movie and they were shocked that it had silliness and humor. I didn't want the jokes. <laughs> right. Uh, and then finally I went over to IMDb and found this one star review. I watched this horrible mess of a film and hated every second of it. It was horrible and painful to sit through every single second of it was hell. And I hate seeing it. Everyone at Christmas time watched the actual <laughs> one, not the Muppets. It is a horrible film. If I lived in they world, I would be grumpier than Scrooge, <laughs> period. The charters were all horrible, and every song in this movie was dreadful. Instead of wasting your time watching this horrible mess of a film, maybe you should go watch a good show like Breaking Bad, Mabye. Yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> M-A-B-Y-A. I, enjoyed your, uh, I enjoyed your very uh, Strong Bad-esque delivery of like strong bad reading an email with typos in it well that, yeah he that's what read, i was he always read the typos out loud yeah. i'm sure that was an influence on me i will actually say on some of these um i've been listening to uh the new mini series of uh you must remember this recently mm-hmm. and you can always tell when the host karina longworth you, you can tell when she thinks um when she doesn't think much of somebody when she's hosted when she's quoting them because of the tone of voice she uses when she quotes them. So I'm sure I was yeah, influenced that's true. like that's, that. That's always true, yeah. In, in quoting all these um, these uh, people whose opinions I don't necessarily agree with. So, yes, that's online reviews of this movie from recent years. Yeah, that's fun. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, next one. Next one you wanted to talk about. You said you had some IMDb keyword fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, talk about. I looked up just a handful of them. Always fun to see what keywords people tag movies with on imdb so for this one you'll find among other keywords miser makes sense bah humbug second chance lost love time portal that's pretty cool i should see how many movies have time portal keywords slime house i don't know slime house yeah that was one of them and then that was followed by... What's the slime house? What's I don't the know. slime house? I don't know. That was followed by Gunge House. Which, Gunge? Gunge House. Is which would like... be appropriate for Fraggle Rock because Gunge Fraggle is on Rock, that yeah. Uh, and then Window, Grouch, Uncle-Nephew Relationship, Stingy, Visiting One's Own Grave, Literally Thrown Out, Boss from Hell, Why Are We Whispering, Talking Fruit, Mixed Marriage, and Turkey the Bird. So. <laughs> mixed marriage is a good one. Yeah, Kermit mixed and piggy, I assume. Marriage, I guess, yeah. Kermit and piggy, right? Right. Characters of different species married to each other. Yeah. Yes. So those are fun. So, so those are all good ones. Thank you again. And then, yeah. uh, you want you had some li- mailbag. You had the old listener mailbag to yeah. open up. Yeah. Last listener comment bag for this movie. Uh, a few things that that uh, people have chimed in with recently. Uh, in our episode with Stephanie DeBruzzo, we speculated, um, given the fact that this, that the, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is a novella, whether there might be such a thing as a novelette. And, uh, I think at some point, maybe Stephanie, or was it you, made a joke about, did Mary Robinette Kowal ever write a novelette? Oh, no, that was Stephanie. That was Stephanie. That was Stephanie. Okay. Um, well, Tough Pig's own Katie Lynn Miller told us this. Novelettes exist, and Mary Robinette Kowal has written one. And then they linked uh, to this novelette, which I guess is called Party Favor. Um, and Katie Lynn also told us the length for books goes from shortest to longest, short story, then novelette, then novella, and then novel. So, there yeah. you go. Great. Uh, also, when we talked about the part where Scrooge wakes up and says the spirits did it all in one night. We speculated about why in the book, Marley tells him that the spirits are going to appear on three consecutive nights. And Tough Pig's pal Hugh told us on the Tough Pig's forum, my understanding is that Marley announcing the ghosts coming on successive nights fits the tradition of scary ghost stories being told over the course of Christmas. Families would gather after dinner and read or tell these ghost stories. And normally there would be one per night starting Christmas Eve and continuing through Twelfth Night. So having each ghost come on different nights fits part of a storytelling expectation. So that huh. makes perfect awesome. sense. Yeah. It a, does. A nice little tie-in to Christmas traditions. Then when we talked about Scrooge tossing the five shillings to Bean Bunny, 
we wondered how much that would be worth today. So also on the Tough Pigs forum, uh, our friend Dayib uh, said, I did the calculations for the five shillings. Um, so basically, he put five shillings into a UK inflation calculator and came up with, I guess this would be 17 pounds and 81 pence. Is that what they say? Yeah. And then he punched that into a currency converter and got $22.12 in US dollars. So not a bad tip for a little kid who just happened to be walking by Scrooge's uh, house on Christmas. That's funny. Yeah, here's 22 bucks. Um, and finally, this is something not 22 bucks. Yeah, not not really a, a listener comment on the podcast, but something I forgot to say when we talked about when love is gone. But in 2020, back when they announced that they had found the original negatives of that cut song, I wrote an article for the website where I I announced to the world that I was okay with the song. Now the song is okay with me. And among the posts on the Tough Pigs forum in reply to that one was a new forum member named Isaac who said, When Love is Gone is a garbage song that dragged an otherwise great film to a halt. Its removal was the greatest thing to ever happen to the Muppets, and I just joined this forum now to make clear that it has no place in A Christmas Carol. Anyone who defends this frigging song is almost certainly a perfectly decent person with opinions equally valid as mine. I want to personally say to such a person, you can enjoy your stupid song and be happy that it is being restored without in any way harming my ability to enjoy the existing edit of the film without the song. I am happy for you and your awful song. Enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, I I had forgotten all about that. That's so Yeah, either the most aggressive, nice post or the most nice aggressive post on the topic so yeah there you go yeah one or the other yeah that's great all right and then finally i think you said you have a game that you want to play today yes yeah, something of a game um again we talked about playing the box office game in the style of our one of our favorite podcasts blank check but when danny horn was here he told us all about the box office uh, the weekend that Muppet Christmas Carol opened. So we already know everything at the box office. But uh, in addition to writing down other adaptations of A Christmas Carol starring established characters, uh, I looked up some TV series, mostly TV series, a few other things, where they basically like sitcoms and, and dramas that did a riff or a parody of A Christmas Carol. So I would like to have you guess in all of these things, who was the Scrooge character? I'm I'm here for it. Let's go. Okay. So these are not really in any particular order. And a lot of these I found on TV tropes. Some of them I found just by kind of clicking around the internet in various places. Let's go. Let's see. I'm sure I've seen many of these. Let's oh, see I bet you I have because you've seen or, every Christmas thing. Or, so, yeah. I'll, although, like sitcoms adapting a Christmas Carol has never been my favorite thing because so many yeah. of them have done it. You know, yeah. it's always just kind of like, oh, okay, right. That mm-hmm. and it's a Wonderful Life. They just right. Everybody exactly. does it. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll start with it. Let's easy do it. One. I'm excited. And by the way, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't take responsibility for the accuracy of any of these things that I found on the internet. So. Please sure. correct me, anybody listening, if one of these is wrong, but, you know, this is just what I found. Uh, so I'll start with an easy one, The Odd Couple. That's about The Odd Couple putting on a play of A Christmas Carol, is what that episode's about. Oh, okay. And it's it's Oscar as the... Yes. As the yes, of course, Oscar is the Scrooge. Okay, what about WKRP in Cincinnati? Uh, I'm going to guess that it's Herb? It is Arthur. Oh, okay. Arthur Mr. is the Scrooge figure. Mr. Carlson. Mr. Carlson. I, yeah, I'm. I'm not that familiar with WKRP. I watched. A okay, little he's bit the station. On. He's the station manager. Yeah. Okay. That's he's, actually... the, he's Gordon Jump. He's the. He's the major. Oh, Japan. sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one of those shows that I used to catch it occasionally in syndication, or I think it was on Nick at Night. No, it was on TV Land for a while. For a and little while, yeah. Seemingly every time I saw it, it would always be like one of the same two episodes. Oh, weird. Yeah, they just and it wasn't this one. 
No, it wasn't that one. One of them was uh, an episode where they had a punk band come to the radio station. With okay, name, I, I don't like, really know the show all that well either. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the band. It was something like The Disgustings or something. I don't know. That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this one I think this has actually come up before this season. Uh, Family Ties. Okay, so that's Alex. Yes. I, Alex P. Keaton. Alex no, as the Fox, Scrooge yeah. and his sisters are the ghosts. What about the Jetsons? So I have definitely seen this. Okay. But not for many years. And it seems like the Scrooge must be Mr. Space. Yes. Once again, the yeah, boss. I, yeah. I don't know why you why you would do that otherwise. Yeah. Right. I guess, yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't really have... I don't think you would make George. Yeah. No, George is probably the Bob Cratchit figure. He's got to be Bob Cratchit. Yeah. It's got to be an 80s one, too. I can't imagine they did that in the original run. Yeah, especially because how many episodes were in the original run of the Jetsons? It's 24, one season. Yeah, it's so crazy. 24 episodes of the Jetsons that they just re-ran endlessly for 20 years before making new ones. Yeah. And then they made, I want to say, six. it's either 51 or 61 more. In the it might, yeah, I think it might have been. 75 or 85 total. Yeah, wow. Uh, and they added Orbity, that little... Spring yeah, right. Um, there you go. Okay, what about a different world? Oh, this is Whitley. I love this episode. Yep. <laughs> this is my favorite. This is my favorite sitcom adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. I watch it every year. Yeah. Okay. It's a. It's about how Whitley is like being because the, the whole the whole thing is that she's like being upset that nobody wants to spend Christmas the way she does. Basically, is kind of all the conflict is. Okay. About. And then the and then the ghosts have to show her that it's like. Fine for everyone to do their own thing, basically. Oh, so that's a nice variation on the story. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, so this one, I saw it was actually a Halloween episode, but it's still a riff on A Christmas Carol. Roseanne. Uh, I guess Roseanne. Yes. Right? <laughs> Must be, it's, yeah. Cause, the, yeah. The Scrooge figure on the Roseanne episode is Roseanne. Right. I can't imagine who else it would be, right? Yeah, it's like, something about... Like her not wanting to celebrate Halloween anymore or something like that. And the ghosts convince her that she should keep doing it. Something like that. And the ghosts, the ghosts are her kids. Do you know, did it say? Yeah, I think so. I didn't I'm, write yeah, down all the I must other have seen that one. characters and all these. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. This one, I, I feel like one of our guests mentioned, but Northern Exposure, not a sitcom, but a, a quirky drama. Not a sitcom. And the, um, the Scrooge is Maurice. Uh, no, the Scrooge is Joel Fleischman. Oh, the main guy. Yeah, and it is actually a Yom Kippur story. Oh, and really? I should have written down the title of the episode. It was very clever. Um, yeah, so it's Yom Kippur, and the episode is called Shofar is So Good. Wordplay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, then we have Beavis and Butthead. Uh, a, a program I've never seen. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like you have. So one of them is probably of one of the, it, right? One of them is the Scrooge. It's Beavis. It is Beavis. Good job. You got it. Yeah. That's your favorite, All isn't right. it? Nailed it. It's my favorite one. I've never seen the show. I've never seen it. Yeah, I, I probably never seen a full episode of it. I'm sure that both of us, when it was on the air, were we're like, no way, I would never. Exactly. I'm a good boy. Yeah, I don't yeah. watch stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So why would I? Why would we have bothered later on? You know. Like yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. This one, I believe, was on the TV tropes list. So there was. You're gonna get this one right away. I guess there was a Barbie direct-to-video movie of A Wait. Christmas Carol. Who was the Scrooge? It was probably Barbie. It was Barbie. Yes, it was Barbie playing a character <laughs> named Eden Starling. I did Eden not. Starling, I did huh? not write down any additional information about that, but maybe if the oh, new Barbie movie a is a Christmas big hit, Christmas. they'll remake that as a a live action Christmas Carol with yeah. Margot Robbie as Barbie as Eden Starling. That'd be good. Yes. Yeah, uh, all right, another sitcom. Alice. Who is the Scrooge on Alice? Alice. Um, it's got to be Mel. Of course, right? it it's got to be. It's got to be another one of those where like it's the actual boss. And yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. So this one surprised me. Boy Meets World. I shouldn't have said that. Boy Meets World. Yeah. The Scrooge is, it's like Sean, isn't it? It's Corey. It is Corey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you I remember, might think I, Mr. I'm Feeney. sure I must have, I must have seen it. I watched that show all the time back in the day. Sure. You would think Feeney because, but he's so, he's so sensible though. Like. Yeah, I guess. Right. He wouldn't really be the. 
The cranky, overbearing guy. Yeah, I mean, he's an old man. Hey, so I'm looking on Barbie Barbie Movies Wiki right now. Oh, good. And apparently, uh, Eden Starling has a pet cat named Chuzzlewit after a different Dickens novel. Oh, that's funny. So there you go. Okay, well, yeah, good for the writers of the Barbie Christmas Carol, then. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll watch that one next year if I continue trying to watch as many adaptations as I can. I think I think fired up. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about Mr. Belvedere? Who was the Scrooge? Uh, he was the Scrooge. Was was Mr. Belvedere? You are correct. Yes. All right. Um, what about <laughs> a holiday comic book special uh, tie-in to the TV series Firefly? Firefly did not uh, last I long mean, enough I... to have a Christmas episode, but there was a comic book. No. So it's so. One, I'm not entirely sure that they celebrate Christmas in Firefly time. Is it a fake Christmas? Is it like, oh, is it like, I don't know. I, life, I, is it like some life day situation? But why would you think that they wouldn't still celebrate Christmas in a couple I guess, hundred years? I guess not. Yeah, yeah, it's not that far. It's not that far in the future. I mean, these are all, all right, people so who Mal? used to live on Earth. No, it's Jane, isn't it? It's Jane. It's Jane. Jane is yeah. The Scrooge. Yeah. Jane, the, the crankiest sure. member of the Serenity crew. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, you're doing great on these so far. Um, okay, so apparently there was a Dr. Quinn medicine woman <laughs> that did a riff on Christmas Carol. For real? Yep. Okay, and uh, the um, the Orson Bean store manager, or general store owner. Was Orson Bean on that show? Yeah, he was a regular. Wow, okay, I never watched it. No, it was Dr. Quinn, actually. Oh, Dr. she Quinn was, herself she was, was Scrooge. Scrooge? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I have a few more here. Um uh, okay, what about the Sweet Life on Deck? I have no idea who these any of these. So it's the Sweet are. Life on Deck. So it's London, London Tipton. Yeah, I had no Brenda idea. Brenda Song, I, baby. I did not know whether or not you would be familiar with the Sweet Life on Deck. Um, but there you go. Weird. So this is I'm much I'm much more familiar with the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Oh, the original sure. Yes, thing. the original. <laughs> um, uh, my friend John and I. One time watched four hours in a row of the sweet life of Zach and Cody just because it was odd. Like we okay. were in college. We just didn't want to stop. And but London is very self-centered and spoiled, the, the Brenda Song character. Okay. See, she's called see, see, she's an she's a hotel heiress. Right. And her name is London Tipton because uh, hotel heiress. Uh, I get it. I see what they were going for there. Yes, but but uh, I think that it is to that show's credit that they cast Hmong American actress Brenda Song as the spoiled heiress and like blonde Paris Hilton type Ashley Tisdale as the sensible desk worker. Oh, okay. Because like you would think that that would have been the opposite of what yeah. they were. But it wasn't. And they're, they're, it's like it's a very dumb show. I'm not going to sit uh-huh. and be like, run out and check out Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. But they're both very good in it. Like they, okay. they both. Like did did what they needed to do very yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. That's yeah, ahead of its time a little bit then. Uh, so yeah. was was there four hours just consecutively airing on the Disney Channel that day? On the Disney show? Channel, yeah, it was like yeah. it's it was like a Sweet Life weekend or something. Wow, not shocking. Yeah. Uh, all right. What about <laughs> a WWF sketch from 1985? 85. Yes. I mean, probably Hulk, right? No, it was Rowdy Roddy Piper. Roddy Roddy Piper, the star of the star of They Live. Yeah, yeah. I I never watched professional wrestling, but so many of my friends did that I just kind of like yeah, learned who the, who all the wrestlers were. And but it it did sort of appeal to me in that it's it's basically like superheroes. Like yeah, it's, it's all like, good like, guys and bad guys, and they each have their gimmick. Right. Yes. Um. Same. I think we're like completely in agreement here. Like uh, theoretically, I like the idea. Every time I ever tried to watch it, I was just like. Oh, I don't care about this. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah. Kind of. Um, but we did have WrestleMania for NES, and I played that a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, a friend of mine had Steel Cage Challenge for NES, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I did play that yeah. a lot, <laughs> even though I didn't care about who any of those people actually were. Um, okay. Uh, only a few more. So this is another easy one. This is a TV series I did not know existed, though. 101 Dalmatians, the series. <laughs> this was a Saturday morning cartoon from 1997. Okay, so it's definitely uh, the Colonel. It's the Colonel. 
No, would no, you like to guess again? Ville, of course. Yes, of course. I throw the villain, of course. Yes, naturally. Uh, well, okay, so I wrote down the Back to the Future cartoon. If you can actually name the character, I will be um, very surprised. But if you can give me okay, their last so, name. Okay, so it's, it. so it's Ebenezer McFly. No. Well, it's Ebenezer Tannen. Ebenezer right. Tannen. So, okay, so the character's name is Ebiphanezer Tannen. <laughs> No, really? <laughs> because on the Back to the Future cartoon, everywhere they went throughout history, there were yeah. there were Tannins and McFlies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And right, finally, right. And didn't re- oh, remind me, didn't didn't Tom Wilson play play the Tannins on that or not? I want to say he did. Um, yeah, did and I think I think maybe Mary Steenburgen uh, was on. Yes. The yeah, show that's too. what that, that's what Wikipedia says. Yeah, but Michael J. Fox was not, and I. I want to say Christopher Lloyd only appeared in like, uh, like book ending segments. Maybe. Yeah, it says Christopher Lloyd appeared in live action segments. Dan Castellaneta provided the animated Doc Browns. Right. Right. Okay. So there you go. A legend. Also yeah. a legend. Oh Two yeah. Legends. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, what about Thomas the Tank Engine and friends? I have, don't know if you have any uh, familiarity so with. It was. It was um, Lord Topham Hat. No, that's a character. Yeah. No. Do you want to guess again? Um, no. So it was. Since you seem to Mr. know Conductor. these characters' names. Uh, by the way, I, I had his title wrong. It's Sir Topham Hat. So. Oh, oh! But, how dare you? Um. Uh. But uh, no, I don't know. Was it? Um. It was just Mr. Conductor, or it was like one of the? Was it one of the trains? It's a train. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> was it? Um. What's that mean one? Reg? Is that his? Name? I don't know. I just this is the one that I wrote down from this thing. Something like that. Gordon? Was it Gordon? No. Was it Percy? No. Was it Thomas? I'm going to tell you. It was Diesel. Diesel. Oh, okay. I don't remember that one. Diesel as the Scrooge. I used to watch Shining Time Station all the time. I didn't watch like yeah, the yeah, Thomas. sure. Yeah, Shining Time Station also had uh, those those were they the puppetoon characters. Yeah, those I think that's cool. right. That sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, that's that's all of those, and uh, I, I was not counting up how many you got wrong or right, but you won. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad because uh, that was really fun. Go oh, good. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Thanks for TV tropes and various other websites for the information. Right. I mean, talking about old sitcoms and junk. Yeah, I'm here for it. Oh yeah, always. You know, you didn't even say Doctor Who, where of course. The Ebenezer Scrooge character was Kazran Sardik. <laughs> right. But I knew you knew that one. Oh, you did. You knew that. I And you know, wait, we, as long as we're talking about Kazran Sardik, <laughs> uh, the Michael Gambon character from the Doctor Who episode of A Christmas Carol, when he goes back in time, uh, when we see him as a little kid and then we see him as a young man, do you know who plays him as a young man? Do you know that actor's name? No. That the actor who plays middle Kazran Sardik is, I swear to you, this is how he's credited, Ryan. Danny Horn. Danny Horn. What? Yeah. Look really? it up. It's a yes, it's a different <laughs> Danny Horn, of course, than than the founder of Tough Pigs and frequent guest on this podcast. But that is 100 percent true. Well, that's even weirder because Danny Horn, founder of Tough Pigs and Frequent Guest on this podcast, told us. That he knows one of the young Scrooges from Muppet Christmas Carol. Somebody he works with. That's true, he did. With, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, what a weird series of coincidences. I didn't even, didn't even think about that. Let's see. Let's see. I'm looking him up. Danny Horn. Yeah, there he is. Born in 1989. Yep. Okay. Sure enough, works all the time. All right, wow. anyways. Uh, so that's a little fun fact for you. All right, so I think that just about brings us down to the end. Sure. We we will be back someday with another season. <laughs> someday, yes. We're going we're gonna to talk about Muppet Treasure Island, a movie from 1996. Yeah. But we're going to do it two minutes at a time. Two, two, we're going to do adaptation, Muppet Treasure Island, two minutes at a time. We're going to talk about Polly Lobster. We're going to talk about Blind Pew. We're going to talk about Mad Monty. It's all happened. Clueless Morgan. But Clueless Morgan. I, I knew I left out somebody important. <laughs> Clueless Morgan. We're going to talk about old Tom. Dead Tom. Yeah. All those guys. Really old Tom. I don't think we've told the old audience Tom. yet that you have procured a copy of the annotated Treasure Island. So we will be also comparing no, 
that uh, book to the Muppet movie as we go along. Yes, and that's actually um, so I've called this year's segment in that manner uh, the Old Curiosity Shop after a different Charles Dickens novel. Right. And I have looked through Robert Louis Stevenson's bibliography, hoping that there would be a, a equally good title, and there kind of isn't. So, <laughs> listeners, if you have any suggestions for what I should call the Old Curiosity Shop esque segment on Treasure Island, let yeah. me know. Let's talk about the book in our segment, Kidnapped. Right, exactly. Like, part of me just wants to go ahead and call it The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. But, like, that's a joke that would be funny once, not yes. not every week. Right. You know? So, uh, yeah, yeah listeners, if you have a suggestion, let me know. And we'll, before that, we'll do some bonus episodes. We're going to talk about at least a, at least one special, a direct-to-video special, at least one album we've talked about. Yeah. And... And we might have a special series planned as well that we will bring you details on later. We might even have like an extra bonus episode on this movie still. We don't know yet for sure, but uh, we'll, we're going to see what happens. Yeah, right. So stay tuned. Um, we, of course, have other podcasts going on on our uh, Muppet Fan Podcast with ToughPigs.com channel. You can find all kinds of great stuff. I'm not sure what's running there right now, but something delightful, I'm sure, because Joe and the whole gang do good work on that on that yeah, all the always. time. Yeah, always. Such a variety of stuff. Yeah. So check that out if you want if you want your Tough Pigs podcast. Tough Pigs podcast fix. You can always find toughpigs.com on the internet. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're all over the place. You can become a patron of ours on Patreon. We would love it if you did that. We would also love it if you emailed us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com. We don't get that many emails. It would That's be true. fun if we did. Uh, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe, and on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist. Thank you to Morgan Davey, as always, for having designed our beautiful logo. And thank you to you, listener, for being our guest on this episode, for giving us a positive review on iTunes, and for joining us. And for, for listening to us talk about a Christmas movie for almost a year. Yes, absolutely. Uh, big thanks for anyone who has stuck um, with us through this entire season. Yeah, absolutely. Because this one will come out in, what, July, June? When, when are we coming out? June, I it think? It might be June by the time this comes out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, we'll be back in, in... We'll be back when you least expect us. And we'll be at the Admiral Benbow Inn. See you then. <laughs> Goodbye. Merry Christmas. Ha ha! Yes! 